This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. It is Christ who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Because of who Jesus is and because of his position, the writer of Hebrews tells us that therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what our Lord Jesus is doing on our behalf continually, continually, continually. In this life, we all have struggles. Both believers and non-believers alike will have hard times. But as Christians, we know that we have hope. We know that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And we know that we have a Savior who is constantly interceding for us. He loves us and wants to see us succeed in this walk of faith. And believer, you don't have to do it alone. God has given us His Spirit. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 20, for part one of our message entitled, But Wait, There's More. Well, you know how sometimes you come to church and you kind of come in, you go through the worship time, sit down, they open up the Word, they get to the preaching, and all of a sudden you realize, man, the preaching today is just cleaning my clock. You leave here and your feet have been stepped on, your heart's been ripped wide open, and actually a little bit of salt might have been poured on there. And you think, whoa, I must have needed that really bad. But it didn't feel real good, okay? And I know that that happens sometimes because, I mean, the Word of God is that way. It not only reveals to us who God is, but it also reveals to us who we are. And that's not always a pretty picture, okay? Well, today's message hopefully is going to be an encouragement, a lifter-upper, if I can use that phrase, that, uh, again, as we continue on here in the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 1, if you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand, leave it up long enough, our usher will get one to you so that you can follow along with us. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we've been in Ephesians for a while, and I understand that, and as I've shared with you, I'm not in a hurry to get through Ephesians. So we are, this morning... In the final verses of chapter 1. Now, this portion of chapter 1 actually is all a part. We've got to back up and go back to verse 15. I'll explain that a little bit later. But it's all one thought, one concept that Paul is giving us. So we're going to be in chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, reading on through verse 23. So if you'll follow along with me, if you would. Therefore, I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church or churches of Ephesus. Okay, so he's writing to them in response to what he's heard about them. He says, since I've heard these things, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a powerful passage really that is, when you look at what Paul is writing to the church. Now, I know that some of you have heard these guys before. Sometimes, I know uh, you might not be able to sleep at night. You're staying up late, and you flip on a TV, and you start surfing the channels. All of a sudden, you come on to these guys that are called the television infomercial pitchmen. Okay? Now, I, I won't ask for a raise of hands because it'll probably embarrass you that you actually listen to these things. But they're the likes of the Billy Mays, you know, with the Oxyclean and the Samurai Shark and everything that slices and dices and makes julienne fries. They're the Ron Popiels from uh, Ronco, Ronco that makes anything and everything that you would ever need in life. And uh, he's the guy that kind of uh, coined the phrase and became so popular, wait, that's not all, there's more besides. Then there's a guy, uh, Jay Cordish. He's, he's known as the juice man, and he takes your entire cupboards, throws it in a blender, and you, you drink it, and you feel much better after that. So these kinds of guys, and, and they remind me of uh, years ago in carnivals and at county fairs, there would be what's called the hawkers. Okay? Some of you may be familiar with that term, the hawkers. They would stand outside the booth, and they would encourage you to come on in, see this fabulous, amazing, one-of-a-kind, it's fantastic, amazing, this prehistoric two-headed lizard. And you go in there, and you see the skeleton of a little bitty lizard, and they've kind of glued a second head on the thing. And you think, what's the big deal about that? Or they're the ones that come along and say, well, mister, don't you want to impress the little lady and come and try your physical prowess over here and see if you can ring the bell. Come on. And, and they lure people into these kinds of things. Well, with all of this, these infomercial guys, these television pitch men, they use little phrases that get people going. They say things like, you know, if you call right now, you can get it at this amazing low price. As a matter of fact, for the first 50 callers, we are going to throw in the deluxe attachment kit along with this amazing low price. But wait, that's not all. I know this sounds crazy, but we have a limited number of 30% discounts. So not only the amazing price that we're offering you tonight, but if you are one of these first callers, you're going to get 30% off of that along with the amazing deluxe attachment kit. And if you call right now, not only are our operators waiting to take your call, but if the call is busy, remember to dial again and dial again until you can get through, because as soon as you get through and we take your order, we'll ship it out within the next 24 hours. And suddenly, all across America, people that have absolutely no idea why they're buying this thing are whipping out their credit cards and purchasing something that they'll receive in a few days that within a few months becomes garage sale material. I don't want to sound to you like a television infomercial pitch man this morning. But as we look at these verses, particularly verses 20 through 23 this morning, we've already seen some awesome things as we've looked at this first portion of chapter 1 here in Ephesians. 
And as we come up to this, I want to say, yes, we touched on some of these things last week, verses 20 through 23. We touched on them a little bit, but I just want to tell you, wait, wait, there's more. There's more. That's not all. There's more to this. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we look at these verses. As Paul is declaring to them about, remember we talked about last week, the exceeding greatness of the dunamis, the the power of God that works within the lives of us as believers. And Paul goes on to explain about that exceeding greatness of the power of God when he says in verse 20, that this is the same power which is working in Christ when he raised him from the dead, when he seated him at right hand in the heavenly places, far above principalities, far above powers, far above might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Just as we found in earlier study that verses 3 through 14 are actually in the Greek. They're just one long, very cumbersome sentence within the Greek. Well, actually, verses 15 through 23 are the same thing. In the Greek, it's all one long sentence. And Paul is just kind of rambling on here, putting all of these thoughts into his dictating of this letter to his secretary as they write this down for him. Have you ever listened to someone who's so excited about what they're talking about that they don't take a breath? They just keep going and going and going. And you're kind of saying, you know, you're going to die if you don't breathe pretty soon. Or you might have something you'd like to add to the conversation, but for the last 20 minutes, they haven't breathed. So you haven't been able to get into that conversation. I kind of look at Paul right here in this section, not only here, but throughout Ephesians. I believe the boy is excited about what he's saying. Because not only verses 3 through 14 are one long run-on sentence, and verse 15 through 23 all one long run-on sentence, but also in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, one long run-on sentence. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, the same idea. Verses 14 through 19 of chapter 3, the same idea. Verse Chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, the same idea. 11 through 16, he's making these long sentences that just isn't the norm for Paul. You read Paul in his writings of, say, the book of Romans. It's very thought out, very methodical, very laid out. And suddenly we get to this book of Ephesians, and this guy is excited about what he's saying, and he's just going on. And I would have hate to have been Paul's stenographer or his secretary trying to write out, hey, Paul, take a break here, man. I need to catch up with what you're saying. And that's what we see here today. I think Paul, probably even as he's going, he's probably the one that's saying, but wait, that's not all. There's more. And he adds on and on as he goes. So Paul was excited about what he was saying, I believe, because Paul's relationship with his Savior. Not because he had some piece of junk that he wants to sell to everybody. I believe that Paul was excited because of that relationship with his Savior that has grown in depth, has grown in breadth, and he just wants to Make that known to as many people as possible. So let's look together at these final words of chapter 1. 
And again, Paul speaking about the exceeding greatness of God's power working in the lives of all believers. And he says, this same power here in verse 20, he tells us, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What does it mean to raise from the dead? We read that. How often do we really think about that? It's so much more than just simply waking someone up that's sleeping. Jesus was not in a coma. Jesus had not swooned. He was not sleeping. He had died 100% Roman certified death. They knew that he was dead. The heart had stopped pumping. The veins and the arteries of our Savior, they had collapsed with no flow of any kind of life-giving blood. The lungs had long ceased to operate, and this cold hardness had overtaken the muscle and the tissue of that physical body. The brain waves had been flatlined for probably up to 60 hours at this point in time. Not only had his vital organs ceased to function doing what they're supposed to do, but every one of of these vital organs were dead. Dead. Our Savior was physically, completely, wholly dead. But then, on that glorious resurrection morning, what was dead and what was cold came back to life because of the exceeding greatness of the dunamis, the, the power of God begins to bring life into that dead body. This lifeless body comes to life once again, and he raises from the dead. Life returns to the one who was dead, and now he lives forevermore. That's the power of God. And Paul here declares that it's the same power that worked to raise Christ from the dead. It's that same power continually and repetitively at work toward you and I as believers. But even as great and as awesome as the resurrection was, folks, that's not all. There's still more. There's more to come. Paul explains to us that not only was Christ raised from the dead by that exceeding greatness of the power of God, but he goes on to say that it was that same power, still in verse 20, which seated Christ at God's right hand in the heavenlies. You know, to stand at the right hand of a king or of a person of authority is is actually a great honor. It shows honor to that individual for them to be able to come and stand at my right hand. But to be seated at the right hand of the king was a place both of honor and of authority. And that's why we read the declaration that John writes uh, from the book of Revelation as he hears the heavenly cries going out in Revelation chapter 5. John writes, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. They're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And then John goes on to write and he says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as even are under the sea 
And all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb forever and ever. As Christ is seated in the heavenlies next to God the Father, it is a place of honor, it is a place of authority, it is a place of worship. Jesus was placed there by that exceeding greatness of the power of God. Oh, but wait. That's not all. There's more besides. He goes on to say, you and I need to understand that while he's seated there at that right hand of the Father, even before we get into what Paul is saying here, you and I need to realize that while he's seated there, you know what? He has you and I in mind. While he's there with the Father, you and I are on his mind. He has the ear of the Father. And you know what? He's whispering your name. The Word tells us that He ever intercedes for us. I mean, He's continually talking to the Father about you and about I. Not in any way of condemnation, not in any way of judgment, but again, interceding on our behalf. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he says that it is Christ who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Because of who Jesus is and because of his position, the writer of Hebrews tells us that therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what our Lord Jesus is doing on our behalf continually, continually, continually. You ever ask somebody to pray for you because you're going through a hard thing? That's a good thing to do, and I encourage you to do that. But you also need to know that Jesus is continually praying for you. He's continually interceding for you. What a glorious blessing his position then is to us. All but wait. There's still more. What else does it mean for Christ to be seated at the right hand of God in the heavenlies? In verse 21, back in Ephesians, Paul helps us understand it pretty clearly. He specifically declares that in the present position of Christ, he is placed far above all principalities, far above all power, far above all might, far above all dominion, far above every name that is named. Now, so much has been made about this list that, that Paul gives, and Paul kind of uses a similar list in other areas of his writings, a couple of times here in Ephesians, also in Romans, that, again, the, the early church writers uh, actually looked at these as being the hierarchy or the structure, the governmental structure of spiritual forces, both good and bad. But really and truly, if, if you go too far into that, you start moving into a, a lot of speculation, and we don't need to speculate about it. I know that there's several Christian authors that have written on, on these spiritual battles and the structure and all, but again, they write fiction with a little bit of biblical information. We just need to remember, though it may be exciting reading, it is fiction. And we need to, again, understand, man, we need to stick to the Word of God informing our doctrine, informing our true understanding of what's going on in the heavenly realm. Well, here are some things that we won't fully know, we won't fully understand, really, until we're on the other side. 
As a matter of fact, it's Paul that tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that for right now we're looking in a mirror. We don't understand all this stuff that's going on. We were looking through a mirror dimly, but then we'll be able to see face to face. Right now we know in part, but then we shall know just as we are known. So right now, let's just leave the truth as, as Paul puts it and gives it here, that Jesus, number one, he's far above all principality. Well, what do we know about the principality? Well, the principality are those dignitaries. Those are those thrones. Those are the honors that are given both spiritually as well as mortally. And Jesus is above all of those things. He's far above all power, all might, and all dominion. There's no authority on earth or or in the heavens that can stand against him. There is no equal to our Jesus, folks. None at all. He is the high and exalted one. Nothing even close. As a matter of fact, in a kind of a declaration of praise and worship, Paul writes to Timothy, his, his young protege, and he writes that Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That whole idea of the potentate means that he is supreme and absolute authority. Nothing else beyond that. He also says that he's far above every name that is named. The ancient world would call upon their many pagan gods to give them protection, to give them blessing, also to be able to uh, defeat their enemy. They would call upon these gods of their own making. But you know what, even today, man in his lost uh, condition calls out to false gods. They're called false gods because it's the gods of financial stability. It's the gods of social standing. It's the gods of popularity or pleasure or self-assurance or positive thinking. And all of it just goes on and on and on today. Those who don't call upon the name of the Lord Jesus call upon something else to give them substance in life, to give them security in life. They're calling upon these false gods, and these false gods will fail because they are not true. They're not eternal. They are not supreme. Only our Jesus is. There's no one and no one thing that can be called upon in man's feeble efforts that will give him truly peace security, completeness, or salvation outside of the name of Jesus. Whatever your strength you think you might have, if it's outside of Jesus, it will fail you. Peter preaches it in Acts chapter 4 when he declares, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. Paul confirms it in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every knee should bow those in heaven and those on earth, those under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Recognize who your Jesus is. He's not just a choice among many. Beloved, he is the choice. He is the only one. The unfortunate reality in our culture, in our society today, we've, we've reached back to old pagan thoughts in many ways. 
And many times, even within the Christian community, there is this whole thought of the dark force and the light force. It's the yin and the yang, and it became very popular again at Star Wars, you know. Trust the force, Luke, you know, that, that whole idea. No, you know, it's not this dark side that's going to overwhelm the light side. No, the light side is in control. Our Jesus is in control. And there's nothing that Satan can do outside going through Christ himself. You think, well, that kind of messes with my mind. And it ought to mess with your mind. Because you and I need to understand that all that goes on within us, our God is fully and completely and 100% not only aware of, but He has either directly caused it to happen, or He has allowed it to happen for a purpose. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com. And follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.